Lord, we thank you right now that we do have victory in this life and in the next life to come. God, in eternity with you. Lord, I thank you that you're preparing our hearts for eternity. Holy Spirit, I want you to move in this service like never before. Let this be, God, the most impactful time we've had in a service up to this point. Lord, that every week, God, you just build upon the last week, just strengthening us. God, strengthening our relationship with you, our maturity as believers, our understanding of the word, our application of the word. God, help us not just to know it, but to apply it. Holy Spirit, let us never be the same after today. In Jesus' name, everybody said. All right, find two people and tell them this is going to be your best day yet. Come on, just speak that word of faith over them. This is going to be your best day yet. Amen. So last week we talked about our lives are like this rope. And we put a scripture in the bulletin on the back where you can write notes. James 4, 17 says our lives are like a vapor. Imagine that this rope is a lot longer than it is and that it circles the world time and time again. And imagine there's no end to this rope, that, that our lives actually go on and on and on. But this is our time here on earth. We spend so much time focused on this small orange part when we have this in front of us. Some of us are right here. Some of us are right here. Some of us are really close to right here. And we think so much about this. What am I going to do next year? I've got to save up so I can really enjoy the rest of my life. And God's saying, guys, this is a vapor. Eternity is a lot longer than your time here on earth. There's a, there's a phrase, a quote that I want us to think about. And if you take a notes, you can write this down. This quote just really got burned in my heart when I was listening to a message about six or seven years ago by John Bevere. He was talking about being driven by eternity. And he said these words, and I'll never forget it. He said, what we do in this vapor of a life determines how and where we will spend eternity. What we do in this vapor of a life determines how and where we will spend eternity. I grew up with a father who had no problem at all talking about hell. My dad, he would, and I'm so grateful for an example of a preacher who was unafraid to talk about the, the things in the Bible. Because he, he wasn't ashamed to warn people of what they were headed towards. You know, I remember my dad telling this story about when I, John and I, we were riding bikes and one of us was going down a steep hill that was about to drive right into an intersection where cars were passing. And my dad was so concerned for us, he began to scream and shout, Stop! Stop! Put on the brakes! Put on the brakes! To the point where it just sounded like he was angry. He was so uh, uh, concerned that we weren't going to break and we were headed towards that intersection. And see, a loving father is going to warn us when we're headed in the wrong direction. And so my dad would talk about it. And so John and I grew up hearing about, you know, stories of people who actually, like Kenneth Hagin, who actually experienced um, near-death experiences where they were in the hospital and they died. Or there was one guy from our church who was uh, so strung out on drugs that while he was tripping out on drugs, he actually went down to hell. And they experienced what they believe encounters in hell. So much to the point that when they came back to, when they actually, you know, came, came back to life, came back from those moments, they, they had this urgency in their heart, I never want to go back there again. 
And I don't want any of our family or our friends or even my worst enemies to experience what I saw down there. See, there's an urgency in there. I remember hearing this story about some construction workers that were digging deep down into the ground. And, and I don't know what kind of construction it was or what they were doing, but that they heard things that sounded hellish. And so John and I went in the backyard and started digging a hole in the backyard. <laughs> and no joke, we were like eight and nine. And we dug, I think, maybe five feet deep. And John put his ear to the ground. I put my ear to the ground. He's like, do you hear that? I said, no. And he goes, it sounds like this. <laughs> He said, Paul, that's the gnashing of teeth. And I said, dude, I don't hear that. And he goes, I hear wailing and weeping. And, you know, it sounds funny. But see, we truly believed there was a hell. And the older that we get, sometimes the more skeptical, cynical, and even afraid we are to think that there's a real hell. Because when we start talking and thinking about a real hell, we start realizing there's people going there. We don't like that thought. And so in America, there's pressure on pastors and preachers. Don't talk about hell. Only talk about the good stuff. Only share encouraging words. Let's, let's have a hell-less gospel. But see, our Bible is not a hell-less Bible. Our Bible talks about a warning that if you don't change directions, you're on a highway to hell. And it's not a party with all your friends doing all the fun, sinful things you love to do. Hell is not a party. And so if I'm going to be a true preacher of the word, I've got to share the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Yeah. I, I'm not here today to make the front row amen and the back row leave. I don't want to do that. What I want to do is warn everyone in this room because I love you as your pastor. And I feel an urgency in my heart to prepare us for eternity. There's an urgency right now to be prepared for eternity. I don't know if everyone's ready to meet God. I remember our band, we were on a road trip going to play some gigs on the East Coast, and we had headed out towards I-44. We were going east up towards Joplin, and there's cities in America that are repeated in other states. Like, there's another Tulsa in America in another state. There's a Springfield, Illinois, and there's a Springfield, Missouri. There's a uh, Lincoln, Illinois, and there's a Lincoln, Nebraska. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Different cities. Well, we had put the city, the right city, on the GPS. We were headed in the right direction. We just forgot to look at what, what happened after the comma, the, the, the two little letters that describe the state we were headed to. And we were supposed to be playing a gig, and we had been driving and driving, and it was late in the night. And we pulled up, we saw the city sign, we're like, man... This took a lot longer than we thought it was going to take. And uh, we were in the right city, but we were two states away from the state we were supposed to be in. And so we missed our gig, and we laughed, and, and it was sad. But I think about how sometimes people are on a highway to hell, and they don't even realize it. We're headed in a direction, and we think, man, I'm doing good deeds. I'm doing good things. I I'm loving my neighbor. I'm treating people the best I can. And we don't even realize that we're gradually headed in the wrong direction. In fact, there was a book C.S. Lewis wrote, and we actually did a drama on it a few weeks ago called Strings, and his book, Screwtape Letters, yeah, that was a good production, wasn't it? His book, Screwtape Letters, is a book writing about how they're going to change people and take people away from God's love. And, and there's this one letter he writes called The Safest Road to Hell. And Screwtape is writing to one of the other demons. He says, you will say that these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, 
you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft, underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. See, sometimes we like to assume who's in hell and who's not. Like hell is reserved for people like Hitler or people in our minds that are just really wicked and evil and have done terrible things to children or whatever. But we'll remember in the scriptures, it's not what you've done that determines where you'll spend eternity. It's what you've put your faith into that determines where you'll spend eternity. The man on the cross who committed some of the heinous acts and crimes cried out to Jesus in the last dying breaths and he spent eternity in heaven. We don't know what people do, what people say in the last moment of their lives. So let us not be the ones to judge who went there and who didn't. Our job is to prepare our hearts. Am I living in light of eternity? Am I living as if heaven is for real? See, how many of you guys saw the movie or read the book, Heaven is for Real? Wasn't it a great movie, great book? Eight million copies out there, and a little boy who uh, was in a surgery in a hospital, and he died during the surgery. He goes to heaven, experiences it. Heaven is awesome. I remember as a kid, I used to imagine what heaven would be like. You know, it was going to have roller coasters, swimming pools, lots of candy, unlimited pizza. It was going to have um, waterfalls and cliff jumping, and I was going to fly. And, and it's nice to think about heaven. But there's, there's not really like a bestseller book that's out there right now that's like hell is for real. Nobody, you know, gets super stoked on Sunday morning. We're talking about hell, baby. You know, we, we, we kind of don't like to think about that. But see, we need to focus on it because it is for real. And so today I want to give you as many scriptures as I can. So that way at the end of this message, you don't say, I disagree with Paul. But you would have to say, I disagree with Jesus. Because I'm not going to preach my opinion today. I'm going to preach the scriptures of the word of God. So let's go to the first one. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. We're jumping in the middle of a conversation that Jesus has already been talking to people about the afterlife. He's already been telling people about hell, about heaven, about there is a choice. A loving God doesn't force anyone to be somewhere. A loving God doesn't force us all to go to heaven. He gives us the choice. One of the the arguments that a lot of atheists will pose is how can a loving God send people to hell? No, no, no. It's a loving God that gives you the choice to choose whether you want heaven or hell. See, to force people into heaven would be a hell for them if they refuse to accept Jesus. Does that make sense? If people have an opportunity and a choice, it's the love of God that gives us that freedom. And so Jesus has been talking about this all throughout the scriptures. He's mentioning hell. He's mentioning heaven. He's mentioning the kingdom of God. And hell in the Bible has different names. Sometimes it's the place of the dead. Sometimes it's a place called Gehenna. And we're going to get into that. Sometimes hell is called Hades in the Bible. Sometimes hell is called Tartarus. And and sometimes hell is given different Names like Sheol and Psalms, the place uh, where the dead go. But all of it leads to the same destination. It's separation from God. So let's get into this. Verse 19, Luke 16. And today we're going to teach on this so that way all of us have a, a clear understanding. And this is my conviction from God that we need to understand 
eternity and the two, two destinations. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen. He lived every day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died. And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now that's just a, a Hebrew way of saying he was carried to heaven. He was carried by the angels to heaven. The rich man also died and he was buried and his soul went to the place of the dead. So hell, he was separated from God. There in torment he saw Abraham in the far off distance with Lazarus at his side. So I want to just give us a few points from this story that we can look at and remember. Number one, hell is for real. Hell is for real. Jesus was telling a parable, but every parable that Jesus told, it all was realities. It was, it was situations that were real. He would tell parables about a father with two sons, and one son who would go and party, and one son who would stay in the fields and work. He would tell parables about a woman finding treasure in a field. Everything included realities. It was stories, but he would use real things. And so we need to understand when Jesus talks about this place called hell and the rich man that's there, he's not just coming up with a fairy tale thing. He's saying, there's a real place called hell. It's not just a figurative, metaphoric thing that, you know, here on earth, when you're going through bad times, that's hell. No, there is a real hell after this life. And it says that the rich man shouted from hell up to heaven. And that's strange that people in hell can actually see what they missed out on. He says, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus, the poor man, over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. Number two, the thing we need to understand from this story is hell allows people the consciousness of pain, of torment. Hell allows people to be conscious of what they're experiencing. It's not that you go to hell and you die there and you don't feel any pain. No, heaven, you feel the torment, the anguish. Jesus used words to describe hell. It's the place that never stops burning. It's the place where there's constant weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the place where there's constant sorrow. And you don't get to feel the, the, the freedom of dying and then no longer having that pain. It's, it's the continual dying of intense pain. Abraham looks to the rich man and says, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. Now he's here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating. Everybody say chasm. <laughs> a chasm is a separation. There is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Hell, number three, is an eternal judgment. Once you're there, there's no getting out. I'm just reading the scriptures. Jesus was saying, this man wanted so badly to leave the torment, the pain, the, the constant anguish. And Abraham said, there's a chasm. There's, there's a separation. No one can get from here to there, and no one can get from there to here. Verse 27, the rich man said, then, then please, Father Abraham, at least... Send Lazarus to my father's home for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. So he had come to grips that he was getting what he chose here on this earth. See, God gives us what we choose. 
He allows us to choose. That's true love. It would be not love for him to force us to have something that we refused and rejected here on this earth. What we do in this vapor of a life determines where and how we spend eternity. So number four, hell allows people to understand justice and repentance. There is no righteousness of God without the wrath of God. There is no salvation without repentance. There's no heaven without hell. It's a choice. Love gives a choice. True love always gives a choice. And this man understood, I don't want my family to go there, which leads me to number five from this story. Abraham looks back at him and says, Moses and the prophets have warned your brothers. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man screams back, No, Father Abraham, if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. And watch where Jesus is taking this story. He's preparing people for what's about to happen. He says, Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't even listen if someone rises from the dead. And number five, hell is full of people wishing for loved ones on earth to repent and escape the highway to hell. This is a tough sermon to preach. I prayed leading up to the sermon, God, I can't shake not talking about this topic. It wouldn't be love for me as your pastor to not give you a fair warning. See, Jesus, when he talked about hell, 90% of the time, he talked to believers in God. The crowds that were around him, they were religious people. They were church folk. They were people who said good things. But Jesus said, hey, it's more than words. It's more than lip service. It's heart. It's actions. It's if you truly have put your faith in God then there's going to be evidence in your life. See, actions don't get us to heaven. They just prove that we belong to heaven. It's one thing for me to say, I believe in Jesus, and then every single moment of my life turn around and live in hatred and racism and prejudice and anger and pride and envy and jealousy and, and, and imagining things in my mind that are dirty and lustful and junky. Have I truly put my faith in Jesus if I refuse to let Him have control of my heart? See, Jesus said it's more than just you saying something. you got to give your heart. Salvation is, is free. But following Jesus will cost you something. Jesus talked in Matthew chapter 10 that anyone who wants to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for me will find it. We find our life when we die to ourselves. We find real life when we let Jesus have control. He wasn't just talking about martyrdom. He was talking about believers surrendering their lives to Christ. Here's the interesting thing about this rich man and Lazarus. When the rich man died and went to hell, what's the first thing he asked? He asked if Lazarus would come and give him some water. To go and give someone water is to be a servant. This rich man still had in his mind a, a caste system, a hierarchy, a class that he was greater than Lazarus, that Lazarus should be serving him. Here he is still fully alive in the sinful pride in his death that he never died when he was here on earth. See, while we're here on earth, we have to die. Jesus came to turn the whole class system upside down. Male, female, Jew, Greek, black, white, whatever you are, everybody's equal in God's sight. 
rich, poor, there is no greater than people. And Jesus is showing us in this story that this man is still trapped in his pride even while he's here in the worst death. That he still hasn't even got it, comprehended what he really was holding on to. There's a story Leonard Ravenhill wrote in his book, Why Revival Tarries. He recounts the last moments of Charlie Peace's life. Charlie was taken on death row. Before him went the prison chaplain routinely and sleepily reading some Bible verses. The criminal touched the preacher and asked, what are you reading? The preacher said, the consolations of religion. Charlie Peace was shocked at the way he professionally read about hell. Mike, I want you to come up here as I get ready to bring this to a close. He said, um, sir, how could you be so unmoved under the very shadow of the scaffold as to lead a fellow human there and yet dry-eyed read of a pit that has no bottom into which this fellow must fall? He said, could, could, you, be, could you believe the words that there is an eternal fire that never consumes its victims and yet slide over the phrase without a tremor? Is a man human at all who can say with no tears, you will be eternally dying and yet never know the relief that death brings? All this was too much for Charlie Peace. He said, preacher, I do not share your faith. But if I did, if I believed what you say you believed, then although England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would crawl the length and breadth of it on hand and knee and think the pain worthwhile just to save a single soul from this eternal hell of which you speak. See, this guy got it. Even though he didn't believe, he understood, man, this, this place is terrible. If you're taking notes, just jot these scriptures down. Mark 9, verse 43 through 49, Jesus talks about hell. And while he's talking about it, he says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter into life, which means heaven, than to enter into hell. And he used the word Gehenna, which was a place right outside the walls of Jerusalem, a place where there was constant burning. They would throw all their trash in this valley of Hinnom. It was, it was a place where they would throw dead animals and dead bodies, and, and flies would come on these bodies, and they would lay eggs, and they would turn into worms, and the worms would never die, and it was disgusting, and the, the fires would never stop in this valley of Gehenna. And Jesus points over there, and he says, you don't want to go to a place like that because the place after this life, if you refuse to live your life in light of eternity, in light of Jesus saving you, uh, it's going to be a lot worse than Gehenna. He says, if your eyes cause you to sin, and he's not actually telling us, and there was a time where I actually thought I had to gouge my eye out. I had to cut my hand off. But what he's saying here is, you've got to be so serious about eternity. All of us, we, we want to be happy. We want to laugh. We want to enjoy life. And that's, that's great. God wants us to. He just doesn't want us to forget that that life, that orange part of the rope over there, is really short. It's really short. Enjoy it. Just don't forget that you're headed somewhere after it that's really long. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, Jesus talks about the final judgment. He says, at the end, I'll, I'll separate the sheep from the goats. And I'll say to those who visited me in prison, those who clothed me when I was naked, those who fed me when I was hungry, those who opened their home to me when I was homeless, welcome into life. 
welcome into heaven. And they'll say, but when did we feed you when you were hungry? When did we clothe you when you were naked? When did we visit you in prison? And, and when did we open our house when you were a stranger? And he said, I'll tell you this, when you did it for the least of these, you did it unto me. I think we're going to be surprised by the results of heaven. And he'll turn to those who claimed to know him, yet lived their lives as if it didn't really matter. Christian atheists. You say something with your lips, but you do something else with your actions. Your heart's not really surrendered to Christ. He says, depart from me. I'll never, I never knew you. Those are tough words to hear. You know how many times Jesus says that in the Gospels? Every single one of them. Every single story. I know you didn't come here this morning just to hear about hell, fire, and brimstone, but I'll tell you this. If you're not ready for it, this could be the message that interrupts your life and saves you from a destiny of destruction. That's my prayer. Another scripture Jesus gives us is Matthew 22, 11 through 14, a banquet's being thrown. He's inviting all these people. This man's there. He's wearing the wrong clothes. And Jesus says that the king comes into the banquet, takes the man and says, bind him hand and foot, throw him out into eternal torment where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These scriptures are real. Three years ago, I read this book, and I didn't want to read it. When it first came out, I was very critical of it. And I said something about it on Twitter, and someone tweeted back at me, have you read the book? I said, no. And all of a sudden, I had this conviction as a pastor, as a preacher, if I'm ever going to correct a doctrine, if I'm ever going to address a doctrine that's not in the scriptures, I want to know what it's about. That's my responsibility as a pastor. I I'm going to know what we're going to confront here. There's a book in our bookstore called What's the Difference? Talking about Islam and Hindu and, and, and all the different religions out there. And So I remember picking this book up, Love Wins. And it's a happy book. It's a happy thought. Really, it poses a lot of questions, doesn't give a whole lot of answers, but it does lean towards this theology, and it swept a lot of young people my age into this thought, and that's why I've got to confront it today. I'm not here to bash anybody. I'm not here to criticize anybody. I'm just here to tell you there's scriptures out there, and if you don't believe them, it doesn't matter. You're headed in a place that you, don't, you may not be ready for. And there's this thought in the book that says everybody's going to heaven. It's called universalism. It's the reconciliation of all people. That if you don't accept Jesus in this life, it's okay. If you reject Him, if you decide to follow Islam or, or Hinduism, or if you're an atheist, if you just hate God, you're all going to heaven anyways. It's, it's a theology called wide hope. Open theology. The reconciliation of all people. Universalism. Bottom line, everybody's going to heaven. And one of the thoughts in the book is that if you die, you can go to hell. And while you're in hell, you can choose that you now want to go to heaven and leave hell and go to heaven. But guys, I'm here to tell you there's no scripture in the Bible that affirms universalism. There's no passage in the Bible that affirms that theology. And we've got to be ready for this. We've got to know, man, heaven is for real and so is hell. We've got to be prepared for it. Prepared. Are you ready? Are you headed in the right direction? This rich man, he 
had his chance here on earth. We have the opportunity here on earth. Don't miss the opportunity to accept Jesus into your heart. Don't miss it. Don't shrug it off. You may not even realize there might be family members, friends, and you've kind of pushed the idea of hell out of your mind. You've pushed the topic away. Now's the time to warn them, to warn them. Guys, we don't want anybody to go to hell. We don't want anybody to experience that power. And I want to challenge you with this, too. If you ever hear a sermon that doesn't give anybody a chance to respond, to receive Jesus Christ, or to repent, red flags need to pop up big right then and there. We will never do a service here where we don't give people a chance to respond to Jesus Christ. You never know. James says, you, you have no promise that there's going to be tomorrow. We don't just do church to do church. You know, we're saving lives. This isn't about correcting doctrines. This is about saving destinies. Now, I don't know if you get it. I, I don't want you to leave today and say, well, I just disagree with Paul. No, no, no. Please don't do that because you're saying you disagree with the Bible. This thing's been around longer than you, and it's going to be around even when you're gone. It's the one thing that's outlasted generation to generation. Jesus was warning people, there's a real hell. You don't want to go there. You don't want your friends to go there. You don't want your families to go there. Go with me real quick to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Verse 11. This is what John says. I saw the great white throne and one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Guys, on judgment day, there's no hiding place. We all stand before God. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. Here's what John's saying. Eternity puts everybody on the same playing field. Whether you were big, small, rich, poor, known, or unknown, we're all going in the same direction. Eternity. The books were opened. The pages began to unfold, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. What we do in this vapor of a life determines how and where we spend eternity. Death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now skip over to Revelation 21, verse 27. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Enter where? Into heaven. John's describing heaven. He's describing the place that we all are planning on going, that we want to go. He says, nothing evil will be allowed to enter in. No envy, no jealousy, no murder, no rape, no, no, no uh, uh, lust, no strife, no unforgiveness, no adultery. Not, none of that's going to be in heaven. There's going to be no sin. There's going to be no darkness. There's going to be no cancer, no pain, no leukemia. Yeah, we got to praise God. All of that's going to be gone from heaven. But here the warning is. Not only will there be no evil, but no one who practices the evil as well. No one who practices the shameful idolatry, lifting up something else besides God. Finding our pleasure and satisfaction and identity and purpose in something outside of God. Anyone who practices that wickedness will not 
be able to come in. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so here's the bottom line. We're all on a road. The question is, which road are you on? Are you on the road that leads to life? Or are you on the highway to hell? And you don't know it. Did you say something with your lips, but in your heart you've continued down a path that rejects following God's word? Then the question is, did you really mean it when you said it? Let me tell you about the road that leads to life. There is a road in the Bible called Romans Road. It says that no one's allowed into heaven that's unclean, that's impure, that's unrighteous. And we scream out, how do I become righteous? How many good deeds must I do? What should I do? I've got to earn this thing. Here's the truth. None of us can earn it. None of us deserve it. It's not how can a loving God let good people go to hell. It's how does God let any of us go to heaven? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. No, not even one. But Christ, in His great love for us, while we were still sinners, He died for us. And God has given us this free gift of life and righteousness through His Son, Jesus Christ. No matter how many times you tricked out on drugs, how many times you messed up in marriage, how many times you messed up in your words, when you put your hope, your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, not your works, lest anyone boast. And there's three groups here today. One group is, you're not sure if your name's really written in that book. And this message is intersecting you on this highway right now. The cross stands in the middle of the road. Stands, it confronts universalism. The cross stands and confronts Islam. It, it, it stands and confronts atheism. That cross, it's offensive. You choose which road you're going to go. And at that cross, we find forgiveness of sins. We find righteousness. We find peace with God. But there is no salvation without repentance. And I'm telling you, if you're in that group today, don't leave these doors without responding to Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, Anyone who acknowledges me before people in public, I'll acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll lose your life, if you'll surrender your life for me, you'll save it. You'll find true life. There's a second group here today, and that is a group that has kind of erased hell from your mind. You've pushed it aside. It's just not a fun thought to think about. And so you work with a lot of good people. And you think, well, good people, they're going to go to heaven. I don't need to worry about it. There's a clause out there, something, you know, if they do enough good things, there's going to be a reconciliation after death. They'll get to go, no. There's no scripture that supports that theory. The Lord wills that everyone be saved. But he says, there is a narrow road. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes to the Father through me will be saved. But there's no other back door. John 3.16 is a beautiful verse. God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But oftentimes we forget the next few verses. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. But the truth is, the light has shone in the world. And those who hate the light have rejected it out of fear that their sins would be uncovered. And so they've chosen darkness over light. And for those, God gives them what they want. What they've chosen. We've got to understand today that 
There's an urgency to tell our friends and coworkers and family members and students at school about Christ. There are people on the highway to hell that work right next to you. It's not just reserved for the people in our minds that we think are really, really bad. It's for those people who think heaven's just a fairy tale. It's the woman in South Tulsa that loves working out at Lifetime Gym, that takes all of her co-workers to Zio's, that donates a few hundred dollars a year to the Dream Center. But she just can't cope with the thought that there's some real heaven and real hell and there's this Bible and Jesus guy. And she laughs when you talk about church. And you say, well, God, she's a good woman. I mean, she paid for my lunch at Zio's. She lives in Tulsa, Jerusalem. She's going to make it. No. I, I, I love you too much to let you fall for that theory. And so the second group is a group here today. I want to challenge you to live with an urgency to bring as many people to heaven with you. And the third group is this. You're here today. And you've given your life to Christ. But you've let hell invade your life here on earth. You've fallen into depression, into shame, into guilt, into condemnation. You've fallen into sin, into addictions, into pride, into unforgiveness. Maybe towards your dad, maybe towards your son, maybe towards yourself. And that unforgiveness, it's eating away at you. You've let poison get in. Yeah, you've said the prayer with your words. And yeah, you go to church, but it's like hell is just advancing in your marriage, in your family. There's strife, there's torment, there's anger. Guys, those things won't fit into heaven. And today's the day to let heaven invade earth in your life. I want us to stand up all over this place with heads bowed and eyes closed.